0: Everybody, welcome back! This is part two of the Mike Peacock episode at Cosmic Soup. I think we're floating in the soup right now. I see some carrots and potatoes going by, and <laughs> we've got a lot more to talk about. Mike, welcome back!
1: Hey, uh, thank you. It's good to be back slash still be here, never having actually left the first time.
0: <laughs> so this next um, segment is dear, just super dear to my heart. Uh, I love farmer's markets. I'm an organic gardener. I grow my own food. Last year, my poblanos were crazy good. Ugh. So delicious.
1: Did you make chile Oh
0: yeah. That's like Pat makes those for me all the time. Oh my that's God. My that's
1: one of my favorites. Do you do the, the deep fried battered style or do you do more of like the omelet style?
0: Um, neither. we So Pat makes these, they're really, um, so they're like quinoa and cheese, this delicious stuffing. It's vegetarian, but you know, pretty cheesy. And he actually blisters them and he uses in man style, uh, a carpenter's welder's torch Yeah. <laughs> to blister the peppers. Then he takes the skin off, you know, and takes the little center out, stuffs them. And then he just bakes them in a delicious, pretty simple sauce that's tomato based. Mm. But the peppers are so perfect because they're they're not crunchy, they're soft, but there's just a little bite there. And, and the cheese is amazing. And I love quinoa. So together, it's my favorite dish.
1: Yeah. Quinoa is like one of those epic superfoods that goes well with everything.
0: I know. It's like a, it's a, a blank canvas that you can do anything to. Woohoo!
1: But I got you off topic. Sorry about that.
0: No, that's okay. You could, I could talk all day long about um, fresh foods and cooking. So you know, farmers, farm-to-table cooking, and and bringing foods from the gardens and our farms into kitchens—that always seems to be a really big hurdle for some organizations to to handle. Why do you think that is?
1: I think that probably when it comes down to it. It it, Again, it partially stems from the, well, we've always done it this way where you have your your main purveyor, right? Your Cisco or your FSA or US Foods or whatever other company you use based off where you're at in the world. I, I think that it's easy to just kind of rely on a system that's already in place and hopefully that purveyor can provide you something different from time to time to kind of break the monotony a little bit. I also think that there's a fear that it's more expensive to use fresher products. And it's true that sometimes it is. And then I think that also on the cost factor, a lot of places have set up their initial budgets with a really, really, really low plate cost goal. And I think that that's hurt them in the long run. I think chefs and culinary directors and, and managers are trying so hard to hit a plate cost for, for margin purposes that they've locked themselves into a program that they can only buy bad food. And that's, that's something that that needs to change like immediately. I I think that if that's your model, you're really, really, really hurting yourself in terms of potential new clients coming in. Because as you and I talked about with branding, if your food is garbage, then, you know, what what are you gonna offer to, to somebody when they can just go down the road someplace else and get something fresh, right? So if you're having your plate cost expectations set so low that you have to buy, you know, prefab products or things like that, then then you're really hurting yourself. So I think there's the the financial fear. I also think that there's a fear that that people don't really know their communities. They don't know what their region is known for. And I think that there's people that really are just lazy and don't want to do the research to find out what they can get locally. And then on top of that, there's the fear that I don't want to bring in extra vendors because I'm going to hurt my rep's feelings or, you know, I don't want to bring in extra vendors because now there's more processes to manage and I'm already so far behind on my days. So there's an organizational element that I think is keeping people from doing it. I don't really think it's that hard to implement you know, I, I think that it's just a fear of the unknown. And I think it's people that are still locked in their old school ways. But I mean, if you were to go to a a culinary school right now, right, you're getting ready to, to talk to the graduating class. I guarantee you that, that no chef who's going to come out of a culinary school is going to say, I want to go and work for a place whose sole focus is on plate cost and using a vendor that they've had for 20 years. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's just not how they're going to view it. They're going to be like, Oh, Hey, cool. Are we going to get our produce down the street? I mean, do I know my, my fishmonger by name? I mean, there's those relationships yeah. aren't just simply not there. And so and that's
0: what makes life rich, right? Yeah. Like it's, that it's that fabric. It's, yeah. it's, who is the fishmonger? Who is yeah. the baker? Who is the cheesemaker? Yeah. Who are the farmers at the farmer markets? And then you have all of these amazing stories to tell residents yeah. about yeah. where the food came from and and it tastes delicious. And there's just so much value in that.
1: Yeah. I think especially for places that are getting set up as a new establishment, that's when it's a perfect opportunity don't wait till you get everything built and then get your budget planned and then bring on a chef and then have that chef try to work within that budget. In an ideal situation, your chef or your culinary director can be a part of that budgeting process. And you can be talking about menus and vendors during that time when you're setting your budgets. That's when it's really optimal. It does become challenging when you bring somebody on to a long standing system and and they're trying to figure out how to work within that system when the philosophies that they have always known don't necessarily match with the philosophies of how to buy a product for that particular location. So that's just something I think for people to keep in mind who are in the process of building or in the process of budgeting, really look at what kind of stuff you want to have and kind of come up with your concept before your budget is finalized, at least as far as food goes.
0: Yeah. Well, Okay. Let's um let's play a community therapist. So <laughs> let's say that I am an executive director and I really and I'm in Palo Alto, California. And I'm in the the food basket of the United States of America where everything grows mm-hmm. like let it tomatoes, and peppers, and everything grows there. Yeah. Well, my kitchen is using a lot of prefab food. Okay. So let's pretend that I go to my, my chef or my dining director and I, what should I say to them? And then how, what should I tell them to do? And what should my expectation be? Like, can you talk through that process? Like, what would that look like?
1: Are you talking about approaching somebody about changing their system?
0: Yeah, so I'm the executive director. And I go to my chef or my dining director and I say, you know what, for my residents and their satisfaction, I would really like to start using food from the farmer's market. So um, I want to do that. And then sometimes chefs or dining directors will say, oh, that's absolutely not possible. We could never do that because of this, this, this or this. Right but if i wanted as the executive director to maybe push them a little further what would i say what could i say to them to help me get what i want
1: well so first and foremost and you and i have actually been through this i mean i worked for you there was time <laughs> there was times when you'd come to me and say miguelo so i'd really like to have pork and polenta on the menu and i'd be like that's like a 10 dollar dish and we're serving 20 dollar dishes right so you know I've been through this conversation on both sides numerous times. And the first thing to do is, is like we get back to it. You have to be honest. You have to have, have a conversation in a non-threatening way. If you're armed with things like customer comments and things like this, you've run your focus groups, you've got your your stuff ready to go and says, hey, listen. Wh- and before you approach them with that stuff, you say, hey, listen, where do you think we are? How do you think the food is? What, what's your perception? What what would you like to do differently? If you could start over from scratch What would you really want to do? And just kind of see where that person, if they go, you know, I'm really tired of what we're doing. I think we could do some cool stuff. But if that person says to you, man, we're doing everything great. Everything's perfect. There's no problems. Right off the bat, you know, you're going to have a confrontation. That's just the reality of it. So, but I think the first, the first approach should be, what do you think of what we're doing? What would you like to do? You know, what are some improvements that you think we could make and just to kind of gauge you know, their openness to things. And then you could say, I'd really like to talk about, you know, where I think we can be. We've gotten some feedback recently. We're, we're in the process of doing a rebranding. We really want to try some new things. Um, the industry is changing. Here's where we're at. I'd like you to be a part of this planning process. What do you think? That's how I would approach it initially. And, mm-hmm. you know, most people, if they actually give a hoot about their jobs and if they have pride in what they do, they're going to be on board with that approach because it's very non-threatening. It's different if you say, man, people hate the food here. We have to change this now. And granted, that might be a conversation you have to have at some point. But if it's not at that point, then I, I don't suggest jumping into the pot at, at, with, with that level of aggression. I just think you're going to create a barrier that's going to be hard to break down. Getting people involved... Yeah getting people involved is, is always a good first step. And, um, you know, sometimes you have a decision to make, you know, is, is your management team, are they leading you in the direction that you want to be led? You know, and if they're not open to changing their style, then you've got a problem. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. So, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's important to consider, you know, people's capabilities and, you know, I, I think you would already know, honestly, you know, at this point, like if you, if people are constantly complaining about food and you haven't done anything about it, then you're a part of the problem. I mean, just black and white. But, you know, if you think that there's a solution to it, you know, you owe it to your your residents and your staff and everybody to address the issue for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, surprisingly, um, the management teams in communities that- I, I've seen this many over and over and over. I kid you not. Um, there is this reluctance and almost a fear of, of going into the dining department to say, "Hey, I'm going to do this really special event. I want my food to be like this." Because you know they're in, they're inviting a younger cohort. They're inviting 72 year olds into their community for um, a cocktail party food event, and they want and the food has to be fresh. It has to be beautiful sure. and delicious. So I, I've actually been in conversations with marketing directors who are shaking in their shoes to go talk to the chef yeah. and ask for that. Like, I don't know. I, I just think it's someday we need to do a whole show on that, like how to get the best out of the culinary department Yeah. That
1: you can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, having been in that role myself many times, the last thing that you want is your employees to be afraid to approach you for either ideas or suggestions. And if you're going to, you know, run your kitchen like a dictator, then you're just, you're not going to have good stuff and you're not going to have good employees. So, um, that right there tells me that if if you're in a situation where your marketing department has an event and they're afraid to approach your culinary team about it, there's probably a huge problem. And it's probably the ego of the person who's in charge.
0: Well, um, now on to let's, so this is an exciting subject. Our next is designing menus, which is another thing I absolutely love to do, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when you're designing menus for communities, what are the elements, the most important elements to consider? And how how can we start to encourage creativity and innovation in menu design?
1: I think the most important thing to consider when when talking about implementing new food is look at where you're at. I think location is the number one most critical element. What is your area known for? Are you on are you on the coast? I mean, are you known for seafood? Are you Midwest? Are you known for, you know, your your cattle are are you in a a super rural area that's known for like you know their their vegetables. Are you in a really trendy hip area that's all cultural fusion and, and really high end stuff? You have to know what your area is known for. Very first thing you know because you don't want to go into say California and the first thing that you want to put out in California is I want to have a barbecue menu. Right? It just doesn't make sense. It's not what California is known for. That doesn't mean you can't have. Tuesday be barbecue rib day in the summertime out on the patio or something. Absolutely. You know, but you make that an event, you make that something different, but you're going to base your core menu ideas around what's fresh, what's seasonal, what's local and what's, what's easily accessible that you can get. I can it back to that kind of farm to table element. You know, that, that should be the first thing that you consider is, is your, your location. You also have to consider the capability of your staff the capability of your chef and your front of the house manager. You have to consider your kitchen layout, what equipment is available? What's the size of your dining room? How many residents do you have? How many meals a day are you going to do and how many different menu concepts will be at the facility? Are you going to run just off a cycle menu or are you going to have a pub menu? Or are you going to have a late night menu? Or are you going to have a separate breakfast menu? So all of those things have to kind of come in play because you have, to, you have to really think about what's the flow going to be like? How many items am I going to be putting out at one time? And how many people is it going to take to pull this off? And so I think that a lot of people come up with these really great ideas like, I have this awesome menu. And then they execute it poorly because they either don't have the staff that's capable of producing that Or they don't have a layout that's conducive to that. I mean, if if you have a menu that's designed around all saute items and you've got a six burner stove and you have 12 saute menu items of 20 items and one person's getting blasted with 50 pan seared scallops all at one time, guess what? That's not going to go well. So. You have to really look at spreading it out. You know, have some stuff on the grill, some stuff on the pantry station, some stuff on the saute station, some nice cold items, some nice hot items. You know, you have to understand how long it takes to produce this stuff. You know, are you going to serve appetizers? There's just a lot of stuff that comes down to to designing menus um
0: you're so good at that i, I mean at the restaurant our, the restaurant was tiny the kitchen was minus just tiny and we pumped so much food out of that kitchen and it got very hot and it got a little <laughs> crazy at times but you were so good at planning menus that did exactly what you're saying like you had the saute you had some dishes that were kind of they were ready to go they just needed some heat and yeah. then you had cold dishes and and it was a really a perfect method
1: there has to be a balance and you have to you have to not overwhelm the production so in in that in that case yeah i remember destino we had a 6 burner stove with a vapor hood mind you we weren't even supposed to be doing full saute until they came back in and, and, you know, recertified us for that, which they did. But I remember thinking, yeah, okay, well, we have to limit the amount of saute now because of this regulation. So we started doing things like casseroles, uh, you know, we did the pulled pork or the, the pork and polenta. We did cassolets, we did baked mac and cheeses, you know, we had soups ready to go. We had really cool salads, entree salads. Um, you had stuff that you can start on low heat and not create, epic amounts of fire. You know, if you're doing sautés and you're deglazing with wine and things are flaming up like crazy, you have to kind of avoid that if that's something that you're not allowed to do. Right. So you really have to look at how many items are going to come out of that kitchen at one time and what can you do ahead. And, you know, uh, it helps if you can take reservations and and get a gauge on kind of what you're looking at. But in a lot of communities, yeah, they know how many residents are going to be feeding. So you can take a look at that you know you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do a timed seating you kind of know what time everybody's gonna show up so you engineer the menu based off all the factors that you have you know at your at your at your uh, disposal so yeah, yeah you it's have
0: like a puzzle.
1: yeah and you really you really do have to mix it up you can't just do all of the same stuff all coming out of one station otherwise um you'll sink Uh, and you can do a small, you know, Ruby's on Bainbridge that I used to work at was the same setup. It was very small and we used to do 250, 300 covers on a six burner stove and almost everything was done on that stove. But you know, all the appetizers were pantry apps, then you could have somebody help stage things. So you have to have the right staff in place also. So if you're going into a community and you're designing a menu, you really have to look at the layout, the staffing, the number of residents, what kind of food, and of course, where your location is. Those are the those are the key elements.
0: Those are really good tips. Um, okay, so now we get to talk about food Woo-hoo! dishes. So when you think about your favorite dish, or what do you think? What is your favorite easy dish that you think any community could cook? Like today. That would make their residents really happy.
1: Well, I think when I think of easy dishes, I think of dishes that take less steps and that you can kind of walk away from for a while. Um, I think like a pot roast, right? A simple pot roast where you kind of season it up, you sear it, you throw it in your braising liquid and you let it sit in the oven for four hours. And then you come back later on after you've done all your side work and your prep work and you're ready to serve it up and it's just falling apart. I don't know anybody who doesn't like fall off the bone meat, you know, who's not a vegetarian, of course. Um, So (laughs) and pot roast is not difficult to do. You throw your potatoes and your veg and your meat kind of all in one place. So that's a good one. Also something like a roast, right? Like a prime rib. Prime rib is not hard to do, you know, season it up, throw it in the oven at one temp, you know, let it sit there for a while change the temperature. I like to do, you know, start low first and then hit it with high heat later, uh, kind of backwards from what a lot of people are taught, but yeah, you know, it's, it's so a nice, nice roast is good, but I think probably the number one thing that is fun to play with that has infinite possibilities is mac and cheese. You can do so much stuff with mac and cheese you know, smoked Gouda mac and cheese, Dil Havarti mac and cheese. Maybe you want some crab or some lobster in your mac and cheese. Maybe you want to bake it with like a breadcrumb crust. Or maybe you just want to keep it super simple and traditional, but just use really good cheese and a different shape pasta. There's infinite possibilities with mac and cheese. And I think everybody grew up eating mac and cheese in some capacity. So lots to play with. On well, that's that
0: why, you know, in, in any good restaurant, that's truly a boutique restaurant owned by the chef. Um, they will almost always have some form of mac and cheese yeah, on yeah. the menu. You'll
1: always see a mac and cheese. You'll always see like a like a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich, but maybe it'll be like a, a roasted tomato bisque and like an Emmentaler sandwich or something like that or a, or a croque monsieur or something like that. Some kind of a fancy grilled cheese and tomato soup. Comfort foods that you can take and just kind of elevate it to the next level. You know, don't be afraid yeah. to experiment for sure.
0: Exactly. I mean, and so there are so many dishes like that, like cocavain. I think cocavain is like, it's so easy to make. And it's an interesting dish because it's French. It has a story. It's delicious. It's affordable to make. Um, also buco. Well, you know me, duck breast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just zip,
0: zip, zip, pan fry it, throw it in the oven, sauce. Yeah. So, um from a customer service perspective, now we're going to shift to the front of the house. Um, customer service, what do you see as the potential for improvement in communities? And and then how could the change be implemented? Like,
1: Well, we, you know, we kind of already talked about that a little bit, but I think more direct communication with residents, you got to get their feedback, you got to get their feelings and you have to actually listen to it. I mean, you've all, we've all filled out comment cards at restaurants and you know that probably 90% of the time that stuff just goes right to the garbage can. You know, Or the manager looks at it and pulls out all the awesome ones and throws away all the bad ones, right? And they just perpetuate the problems. You have to listen to the comments, listen to the feedback, consider it, acknowledge it. And especially if people go out of their way to put their name on something, you know, hey, I'm John Smith and I told you that my meal sucks. I expect you to get back to me on this. Then get back to him. You know, you bite the bullet, suck it up, you know, put on your big kid pants face the music and then make it better. You know, you just, you have to get past that. Um, I'm also really big on, you know, like I said, the surveys and focus groups and that, that goes for, you know, employees, you know, again, make your employees happy. Your customer service is going to be better. Use names, you know, you know, greet, engage, thank the big get behaviors that we used to call them, you know, say hi to people, engage them, you know, not just, you know, generic. Hey, how's it going, Mr. Smith? You know, like, hey, John, great to see you. Hope you're excited for dinner tonight. You know, it doesn't have to sound like that, but it has to be like, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming by. And even though you're going to see him every day, you know, invite him back. You know, you have to you have to have an organic conversation with people. Um, And that also means that you as a manager have to be that way with your employees, you know. You don't don't beat them down. Don't make them feel like crap. Make them make them excited for the service. Have a little pre-shift meeting. Get everybody pumped up. Let everybody get on the same page. What's going on? Here's what we're doing. We got, you know, 80 people coming in here. You know, here's what we got on the menu today. Do a tasting. Let everybody taste the food, you know, so everybody knows what's going on. All that stuff leads to to really good interactions. And and you, you know, nothing should be scripted. Everybody should feel like they can talk, you know, naturally. And, uh, you know, don't blow people off as grumpy old people, you know, (laughs) you don't treat people like they're an inconvenience or treat them like a child. Talk to people like they're real people. And, you know, be here's, here's the thing as a kitchen guy, you have to be okay with a special request sometime, you know, especially if it's doable. I can't tell you how many times somebody put in a request to the kitchen and the chef just freaks out. Oh, what are you doing? I got this all prepared. Now you're, you're messing up my whole system dude, stop being a baby, (laughs) stop freaking out. You know, it's not the end of the day. It's different if somebody wants an entirely new item It's not on the menu or things like that, but something like, hey, can I get those fries with no salt? that should, if that's a problem for you, then you need to go away. Um, you know, Hey, can I get the sauce on the side or, Hey, can I get a half a portion if it's possible to be sure? Okay. That's fine. You know, whatever silly things like that, that send people through the roof, it just blows my mind. So, so be accommodating in the kitchen. You're dealing with people that sometimes have dietary needs. You have to be a little flexible. Um, and at the same time as fall, uh, as far as feedback goes, if somebody says, hey, you know, I really like to have spaghetti on the menu sometime, then that's what specials are for. You know, take some feedback. If, if you know, Betty Smith from, you know, room, you know, 127 is nostalgic about a dish and you get enough people that say, I'd like to have something like that, too, then create a special and say, this is inspired by Betty today. There you go. And now you've got them involved in things. And, you yeah, know, in so, Texas,
0: it was King's casserole. It, yeah. it was so funny. Everybody wants King's casserole. And, and it's a delicious dish. And it, it's, it's the favorite regional thing that people just wanted on the menu. And yeah. I remember being in a branding engagement. We were just working on research for branding, but that casserole kept coming up over and over again. And the residents were mad. They would say, why can't we just have King's casserole? Yeah. <laughs> so in our in our presentation we we're like number 1 you've got to put this dish on the menu at least sometimes. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, what'll happen is you'll put King's casserole on the menu and then, and then Betty Smith will say, well, that's not how my mom made it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) then they'll be mad that you have the King's casserole, but it's not their King's casserole. Right. So, but yeah, you know, get, get, get people involved. And as far as like the front goes, you know, just make sure that for customer service, you know, make sure. That place is inviting, that it's clean, that it's organized, that people can, you know, navigate it, that it's it's shoppable is what we say in the retail business. Make sure that your your layout is friendly. Do you have a spot for for walkers, for oxygen tanks? Are your tables too close together? You know, can do people have to, you know, their mobility sometimes is limited. If the the easier that you can make their job to get to the dining room, get fed, and be happy. Is just going to make everything better. You know, look at your menus. Can they read the fonts? How is the lighting? You know, can can do? Are people squinting when they're looking at your stuff? You know, just all of that stuff leads to a better experience. And really, though, it has to be organic and friendly and sincere. That's that's at the end of it. You know, if you're struggling in the physical capacity, you've got like. Old tables or your layout suffering. At least if you kill them with kindness. Well, maybe that's maybe that's a bad phrase. If you're super kind and friendly, then <laughs> um, then it will they will overlook a lot of the other faults.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, one of the customer service things I, um, I learned long time ago about dining, and it's so true. From the moment a customer comes into your restaurant, and these are restaurants, right. and they sit down there's one question on their mind and their question is, and they're thinking it the the entire time. Are you going to fulfill my needs? Can you take care of my needs? Are you going to take care of my needs? And what that results in is like, am I going to get water? Like I need water. Are you going to remember to bring my, my soda or whatever my wine, whatever that is. Um, Are you going to get my order right? Are you going to bring it on time? Is it going to, is the food going to be hot? Like, the diners have all of these questions. And so the psychology of the very first seating, people sit down, you give them their water. Um, if you could bring them a little, bring them some bread, if that's what you do, make sure they have a little, you know, crudité or something Yeah, that immediately sets the tone for the whole customer service
1: experience. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So um, now, well, that's a good segue into what do you think residents want when it comes to their dining experience from what you've seen?
1: Yeah. And again, it's not rocket science and it blows my mind that this message gets so convoluted. But really what people want is hot, fresh, aesthetically appealing meals delivered in a reasonable time by friendly, knowledgeable people. Right. They want to be treated respectfully. They don't want to be rushed or scolded or told no. They want to eat when they're hungry not because what time it is and they're told they have to eat at a certain time. They want options and they want to be treated as family and friends, not just residents or customers or people that you have to serve because it's your job. Really, they just want to relax and enjoy it. A lot of people, their, their dining time, that's their social time. You know, and nothing sucks more than being sat. And I, I've been there, you know, go to a busy restaurant, and you get sat and the place is crowded and the servers are stressed out and then they're just slinging your food at you as fast as possible and they're not checking up on you, they're not refilling your water, they're not getting you your bread, they're not asking you how your meal was. It should be a relaxing, enjoyable experience. That's what they want. They want to feel that they're important, not that they're in the way. And and I see that happening a lot where people are treated as if, they're an inconvenience and that model needs to stop. And if you see that, that has to be an aggressive conversation. That's gotta be, Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on here with well, this. This is not how we do this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. cause if you, if you let that happen and that perpetuates it, then that's going to affect all other areas, you know, and people can get great food and the people and have the service be terrible. And they'll complain about the service and that will make it sound like the food is bad and vice versa. You can give somebody great service and then if the, you know, if the food is bad, you know, it it all kind of goes together. You have to really make every element harmonious to provide the ultimate experience. And you can't do that if you're just rushing people and looking at your job like you're just performing a role.
0: Yeah, that's true. And we've had some engagements where we've helped with front of the house service. And it was it's so cool to watch that um, when we we start with training the front of the house, well, number one, asking them, how's it going? What do you need? And finding out, like, gosh, they just need some simple things. They needed new shirts because they were way too hot with right. their shirts right. in a hot climate. Um, they wanted some new aprons. They... they didn't have busing stations. Their their dining room was massive, and they would have to walk. I kid you not, like hundreds of yards to take dishes into the kitchen. Yeah, and so we set up busing stations. Like, well, here, put your dishes here, and the dishwasher is going to come out and get them, or the buster is going to come out and get them, and you don't have to do that anymore. So that was step one. Once the um, the servers were respected and they were heard, and they got. Uh, just a couple things that they really needed. Yeah. They were so much happier. And then we gave them some tools like, these are three questions. Ask the residents one of these three questions. You know, what did you do today, Mr. Smith? Or, gosh, I love that shirt. Where did you get it? Or, you know, just simple stuff. Start the conversation and then it sets the whole tone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So now we're to this my, the Cynthia questions, the fun questions about everybody. Um, everybody has to answer these. So describe your dream community. Imagine in a land far, far away and you're 75, maybe 85, who knows? And you're thinking, well, I'm ready to downsize my giant outdoor kitchen. It's just too, <laughs> too much for <money> me now. Right. <laughs> what is your perfect community? What, where do you want to live?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've asked this question a lot now and I've got some really good answers out of this. And I think my opinion has kind of been swayed by some of the really cool things that I've heard. But I really see it like if if money was no object and we're just gonna really talk about just our crazy ideas, I would view a community like a resort, right? You'd have a few different concepts. Um, you'd have kind of this all in one encompassing of different restaurants and there'd be like activities that you could do, outdoor activities, tours, things that you could, you could do as full day excursions. If you wanted to things that would take into account all people's, you know, capability levels and desires, stuff like that. Um, community involvement, you know, get, get people out there to to do activities in the community as well. Gardens where there's, you know, herbs and produce being grown. I would really like to have a, a uh, uh, horticulture program that can sustain at least the the produce and uh, herbal elements of of the kitchen um I'd like to have like chef's tables uh wine tastings happy hours uh and here's another cool thing since I'm thinking about you know what we're doing right now I w- would like to take this concept from colleges where we could have an in-house community radio show or podcast that's run by the residents to kind of get out that creative thing and to take it one step further, it'd be really cool to have like a closed circuit, TV channel where you could air like the in-house events and specials and have somebody host these events. And then the residents could watch this on TV and see themselves or, or tune into the little, the radio station that they could have that doesn't require a lot of bandwidth or listen to the podcast on their, on their in-room iPads or, you know, whatever. Uh, And then classes and workshops where they can, you know, learn and and interact. That's, that's kind of what I see this as.
0: Well, that sounds so cool. There are co- a couple of our clients, like so Bayview, they have they create their own um, movies, actually. They write oh. their own script, they film their films, and then have them edited, and then they have a red carpet service. I also have seen a community that does have its own radio station. It's so oh, cool. Oh,
1: how awesome is that?
0: Um, so now um, we're going to wrap up here with the last question, which uh, what are the three things that you think a community could do today. And they have to be kind of easy. Like literally, if I did, I could do these three things sure. starting now that would make residents happy.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, invest in your employees, right? Just, just talk with them, learn from them, uh, r- give them feedback, give it timely. Uh, nobody should have any surprises. Everybody should know where they're at and train them rather than let them fail. Um, so that's, that's step number one is invest in your employees. And that goes for your managers too. make sure you pick good managers and invest in them and and make sure people know your expectations. Okay. Um, number two, (laughs) I would say evaluate your cheapest food possible mentality. You know, don't be afraid to order a good product. You know, don't get it all from one place. You know, you can bring on another vendor. You can try stuff just for specials, you know. Uh, focus on using food as your selling point to actually drive census. As I learned from you uh, recently, you know, use your food as a selling tool, you know, but, but make it, you know, take some pride in what you're doing with your food. Um, And then step number three is, you know, execs, administrators, culinary directors, managers should all dine in the venues themselves and welcome their staff and families to do the same because, you know, if your employees want to ask their families to eat where they work, you know there's a problem. And it also lets the staff know that you're, you're kind of checking on their progress. Hey, uh, and, you know, don't announce it. Don't say, I'm going to come on Friday at 6 o'clock with my family. You know, just show up. You know, walk through the dining room. Walk through the kitchen. Check on stuff. Watch it in progress. Heck, maybe, maybe. I know this is a crazy concept. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. maybe pull a shift once in a while, right? You know, maybe if you're a <laughs> maybe if you're a CD that you walk out there and talk to some tables. Oh my god, I know it's crazy, you know. Maybe if you're a chef, get out of the kitchen and go talk to the residents. Hey, how was your food today? I cooked this for you. If you're not willing to tell somebody that I cooked this for you, then you've got a problem. So, um, I love that idea. Yeah, you know, it's it's people in all departments should be wanting to eat the food that you're serving. And so, um, I, I think that asking people to dine in the venues, not just because I get an employee meal and I'm going to sit down on the table in the kitchen and, and scarf it down in 30 seconds and, you know, eat on my feet or all the bad habits that kitchen people have. Um, you know, that, that's something that I would really encourage is, is, you know, um, get all your people to, to dine in your venues, maybe give them incentive, maybe give them a, a coupon that they can use once a month, like a guest pass to bring a family member in and they get a discount or something like that. You know, there's, there's any number of ways to do it and it's not, and it yeah. doesn't cost you anything. doesn't, doesn't take any extra time, you know, but when you see your people eating in your establishment, you know, if your residents see your employees sitting down at the table when they're not on shift, that sends a positive message.
0: That's true. Um, I would, I would ask, uh, I think we should Make a dining challenge, and that would be for executives to executives to dine in their dining rooms once a day for 30 days. Yeah, every day, and but they have to do it at different times. Yeah, because that, I have seen that a lot where. The kitchen goes, uh oh, you know, so and so is here. (laughs) And then everybody scrambles, and that that executive does not get the same food everybody else gets.
1: It's the same thing you run into in in the corporate environment or in retail, like, oh my God, I'm gonna have a regional visit on March 16th. And then what do you do? You blow your payroll, you call every employee in, you get in the corner, you take down the cobwebs, you scrub the windowsills, you clean the baseboards, you bring in the carpet shampooer. And then that person walks in and they're getting an experience that is not indicative of the environment that is going on 99% of the time. Yeah. It's got to be, you have to, if you want to get the real scoop, you just got to show up and people have to be, you know, not ready for you. And if you've, if as a crew, you've got your, your stuff together, you should take every day and approach it. Like I could get a visit from the president today, every day you should look at your operation that way. And that way you're ready for it. You don't have to scramble for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, Mike, thank you so much. I think we could talk for days about food and recipes and communities. Right. It's been really fun. I, I do have one thing and, and don't worry you, it, it's just a thing. It's the F word of the senior living industry. And I think you did say it a few times. So I think you're going to have to throw some quarters in the pot. Um, it's the word facility. As you know, we don't say that. Word. Oh,
1: facility. <laughs> I have to get out of that habit. Yeah.
0: It's hard to break, but it's anyway, it's super hard. I so will I think f- you owe 75 cents.
1: I will gladly throw my 75 cents into the F word jar. And <laughs> <laughs> I will work on not using that as all of you should work on that as well. It's, it's apparently it's a bad word. And, uh, <laughs> <It is. laughs> and uh I understand,
0: <laughs> but you've been amazing and you just, you do an amazing job and you're so creative oh. and your food is fantastic. Your management skills are just, you know, just second to none. So, bless your um, soul. Super happy to have this time with you. And now I'm going to hand this back to you. Be the host again.
1: Oh, my and God. Wrap Okay, putting my host hat back on. So if you guys like what we're doing, don't forget, please send us a comment and send us your questions. Send those emails to Soup at 3rd3rd.com and we'll answer those questions in our upcoming mailbag episodes. Don't forget also to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook at 3rd3rdMarketing Third Third and also subscribe to the show on all the platforms, Spotify, iHeartRadio, itunes podbean you name it and if there's a platform we're not on you let us know we'll get on there and don't forget also that we have the stuff posted on our third third website so you can check out all the episodes and all the links right off our website so thanks again for joining us and we will talk to you next time on cosmic soup